0: Welcome to Policy for the People, a show that explores the public policies that can lift up all Oregonians. This show is a collaboration between KMUZ Radio and the Oregon Center for Public Policy. I am your host, Ken Adams, and with me today is Juan Carlos Ordonez, Communications Director for the Oregon Center for Public Policy. The murder of George Floyd at the hands of the Minneapolis Police Department last summer not only triggered a massive street protest against police violence, but also the spotlight on the fundamental problem of structural racism, the way that public policies and practices routinely lead to worse outcomes for people of color. But what about our tax system? What does our tax system and Oregon tax system in particular look like from a racial equity lens? A few weeks ago, a committee of the Oregon legislature held an informal hearing on this very topic. One of the presenters at that hearing was our friend Juan Carlos Ordonez, Communications Director for the Oregon Center for Public Policy and my collaborator on this show. Good morning, Juan Carlos. I I found this very interesting that the legislature would be hearing on this subject. So let's start with the legislative hearing that I just mentioned and how did it come about and how has the legislature ever discussed this issue of tax policy and racism before
1: so as far as we can tell, this is the first time ever that the Oregon legislature has devoted a whole hearing to the issue of racism and tax policy, so really um, you know, kudos to the Oregon House Committee on Revenue for prioritizing this topic during a what is a pretty busy legislative session and the meeting came about as a result of efforts by community-based organizations uh, to put the issue of taxes and racism really squarely in the public dialogue. I, I think it's also important to mention that this hearing would not have been possible without the leadership of Representative Khan Pham of House District 46. Uh, and She's a new member of the legislature, and uh, she also serves as vice chair of the Oregon House Committee on Revenue, and she really pushed hard uh, to have this hearing uh, take place. And and for all of of us who participated in the hearing and and made it happen, you know, our hope is that uh, going forward, this this becomes an ongoing conversation and that it helps lead our state toward more equitable tax
0: policy. So when we look at tax policy from a racial equity lens, what do you see? What are the main takeaways that people need to be aware of?
1: I think one of the main takeaways is that tax policy is not race neutral. So, you know, when you file your taxes, when you fill out your tax forms, there's no box that you check that identifies your uh, racial identity. Uh, and it's also the case that, uh, you know, tax policy is not explicitly racist. I mean, we don't have right now laws that They applied differently to different racial groups, although I should say that that wasn't always true. Um, But, you know, right now, you know, the laws, you know, are colorblind, if you will. But even so, I mean, the reality is that our tax policy right now serves to entrench and even deepen racial inequities. Uh, we, We know that tax policy can be a powerful tool for advancing racial equity, for helping reduce the large disparities that we see among racial groups. Um, but that's not what's happening right now. And, in fact, uh, tax policy is serving, as I said, to, to entrench and in some cases even make matters worse.
0: So let's go back to something you said earlier. You indicated that Oregon used to have explicitly racist tax policies. Can you, can you elaborate on that?
1: Sure, yeah. So uh, in um, 1862, and this was just a few years after Oregon became a state, the Oregon legislature enacted a tax law that said, quote, each and every Negro, Chinaman, Kanaka, and that was a, a term referring to native Hawaiians, and mulatto residing within the limits of the state shall pay an annual poll tax of $5. And I, I should mention that $5 was a lot more back then than, than it is today. And, and those who were unable to pay the tax had to perform road maintenance, according to this law. And this was this tax was just one of several uh, laws that the Oregon Territory and later the state of Oregon enacted to basically keep keep out people of color from deterring them from coming into the state. And you have to you know, you have to think about what's happening at this time. I mean, Oregon, this is a time when Oregon uh, white settlers are coming into the state of Oregon. They are being given free land by the federal government. Land seized from Indigenous uh, peoples, um, and this free land was being given away by the uh, away to white settlers, but not black settlers or other people of color. So, Oregon instituted policies, including tax policy, to keep uh, keep out people of color. And you know, I think I think this illustrates uh, an important point to to understand, and, and that is that tax policy doesn't exist in a vacuum i mean it reflects the larger political and economic forces of its time and so today you know we've we've finally done away with those explicitly racist tax policies you know we we no, no longer would tolerate legal segregation or or laws that that uh, only uh, you know tax policies that only apply to to a racial group and not to not to everybody else um but even so even though we have moved away from that uh, you know our tax system right now continues to produce um, you know, highly unequal outcomes by race, just as other structures that we have uh, presently. You know, uh, together they combine to produce and maintain in place highly unequal outcomes. Um, that's the context that we live in. And so that, that we shouldn't be surprised uh, that our tax system also plays a part in maintaining those inequitable social structures.
0: So in what ways does the current tax system entrench and deepen these racial disparities in the tax system?
1: I mean, I think maybe the, you know, when you look at it globally, when you sort of really step away from it and look at it from a distance, what you, what you see is that, you know, if you add up all of Oregon's state and local taxes, you know, when you look at really the totality of Oregon's tax structure, what you end up is with a tax system that asks proportionally more, of lower-income folks than of higher-income folks. Uh, so just, just to be, give you throw out a, a couple of numbers, uh, you know, Oregonians in the bottom fifth of the income ladder. Uh, they pay, on average, about 12.8% of their total, total uh, income, and, uh, income on state and local taxes, and, and that's the highest of any income group. So the, the ones at the bottom pay the highest share of income uh, uh, towards taxes. Uh, it, by contrast, the average member of Oregon's richest one percent—the very richest Oregonians—they pay about eight point two percent of their total income on state and local taxes, and, and no one else pays less. And so this this for one violates a basic principle of tax fairness that uh, that taxes should be based on ability to pay that that a tax system to be fair should ask proportionally more of the rich than of the poor. Um, but when you look at it from a racial equity lens, what this means is that we know, because of the history of this country and of this state, and of ongoing patterns of discrimination, that Oregonians of color endure greater economic challenges. I mean, we see—you uh, know—that's why we see higher rates of poverty among communities of color, um, lower incomes, lower rates of home ownership, uh, you know, even lower rates of business ownership, and and certainly much, much lower, uh, lower, lower levels of wealth. So when you, yeah. you know, when you take this economic reality and you layer on top of it a regressive tax structure, I mean, it's, it's no surprise to find out that the tax system ends up exacerbating racial inequities. So before taxes, white Oregonians, uh, as I mentioned, start off with significantly higher average income. In fact, it's about 28% higher than the rest of Oregonians. When you add taxes to the mix, uh, it ends up uh, bumping up that the disparity. It, ends up, uh, it ends, up, ends up becoming even more unequal.
0: Are there particular parts of the Oregon tax system that are more regressive than others, especially when you look at it from a racial equity lens?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, so... Excise taxes, uh, you know, are are definitely uh, some of the more regressive taxes that we have and also in some ways uh, highly in, inequitable. And excise taxes, uh, you know, you can think of them as sales taxes on particular types of goods, so like the gasoline tax or taxes on, on alcohol. And these kinds of taxes uh, hit lower-income folks much harder, uh, and they also weigh more heavily on our, the Latino population in Oregon, native Oregonians, black and black Oregonians. But even even when we look at the progressive structures in our tax system, the you know, and, and the one the big one, the, the is the personal income tax. The personal income tax is Oregon's um, biggest source of revenue. And, you know, it, it is progressive mod- it is modestly uh progressive. It asks proportionally more of the rich than of the poor. But even here, we see some very significant racial inequities at play, um, especially when it comes to tax breaks. You know, we have many tax breaks on the books, and a lot of them are very regressive. They disproportionately benefit higher income Oregonians who are also overwhelmingly white. We're taking this short break to invite you to subscribe to our podcast for free. Find Policy for the People on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Now, back to the show.
0: Are there any other examples that you can give us? I I, I kind of understand the excise tax because gasoline tax is kind of like a flat tax that everybody has to pay. And um, I would imagine alcohol is the same way. If you buy, you know, a gallon of gas, it doesn't matter what your income is. You're going to be paying the same amount of tax. But are there other examples?
1: Well, in terms of uh you know inequities in our tax system i th- I think that you know looking at tax breaks is is a really <laughs> uh insightful way of looking at our tax system from a racial equity lens so and you know if if we're going to talk about tax breaks, I think that the that there's probably no better example of the inequities in our tax code than the mortgage interest deduction um, you know people who own a home may be familiar with it but Some of them will have claimed the mortgage interest deduction. The mortgage interest deduction costs Oregon about a billion dollars every budget period. It it is one one of the very biggest tax breaks on the books, and it is also Oregon's biggest housing program, far and away Oregon's biggest housing program. I mean, nothing else comes close to uh, the cost of the mortgage interest deduction of a billion dollars per budget period in terms of what we spend on housing, and. The mortgage interest deduction exacerbates racial inequity in, in two ways. The first is that tax deductions generally, the mortgage interest deduction delivers most of its benefits to those higher up, higher up the income ladder. I mean, those, those who are at the, at the bottom, who earn the least, get practically nothing from the mortgage interest deduction. Because Oregonians of color, because of some of the reasons I've already outlined, uh, they tend to have significantly lower incomes than white Oregonians. Just by that fact alone, they're less likely to benefit from, from Oregon's biggest housing subsidy. But more inequitable still is, you know, the whole history surrounding housing policy uh, in, our, in our country. By definition, you cannot benefit from the mortgage interest deduction unless you own a home. I mean, it's a subsidy for homeowners. If you rent, I mean the, the mortgage interest uh, you don't you don't qualify for it at all. And we know that Black Oregonians, Latinos, and Native Americans have much lower levels of homeownership um, than than white Oregonians. And and this didn't happen by accident. I I already mentioned the 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 policy early on of the federal government of giving away free land. And of course, to build a, to build a home, you need you need land underneath. But even more so, there were policies at both the state, federal, especially federal policy, starting in the 1930s, uh, you know, during the New Deal era, and policies that spanned several decades that subsidized and nurtured home ownership among white Americans. Uh, but these policies denied people of color the same advantages, explicitly denied uh, those advantages to people of color. Uh, so, for example, there were policies that denied federally subsidized home loans to black Americans. Um, and there were a whole bunch of policies like this that explicitly uh, were explicitly racist. And if listeners want to know more about this, I would really recommend the book The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. Uh, that, you know, he really does a masterful job in sort of detailing all the many ways that federal policy especially uh, but state and local policies as well, um, help promote homeownership amongst white Americans while excluding people of color. And so when you when you look at that history, understand how it is that we arrived at the current situation today where there's massive disparities in homeownership by race, and then you layer on top of it the mortgage interest deduction, a subsidy for homeowners, I mean, it really creates a, a highly inequitable situation where where we're using tax policy to basically entrench, um, you know, existing inequities um, uh, in, in our homeownership policies and tax policy. Oh, and by the way, I, before I forget, I, I should mention that right now there's a bill in in the legislature. The Oregon House Committee on Housing held a hearing yesterday on a bill that would actually enact an equitable reform of the mortgage interest deduction. So if this bill would phase out the benefits uh, of the mortgage interest deduction to the most well-off Oregonians, those who are most secure in their housing. And it would take hundreds of millions of dollars in tax savings and invest them in in affordable housing. So, you know, house, uh, it's House Bill 2578, if folks are interested in learning more about it. But it really is the kind of reform that is long overdue.
0: And that was House Bill...
1: House Bill 2578.
0: Okay, thank you. You know, actually... Um- there's an issue here in Salem about trying to get um, airlines to come into Salem. And they're going to be given subsidies and probably tax breaks to do so. But usually what I've noticed is that when they have done this in the past, it doesn't last long. And the fares are so expensive compared to you know getting a flight out of Portland or even Eugene that most people of lower income aren't going to be able to use it but the city is going to contemplate subsidizing airlines coming in here when there isn't it isn't going to help the majority of citizens it's only going to help a few that can really afford that extra money and that's one example another example that i see quite often is that they'll uh, say that they're going to give a tax break to this company or that company to come to salem or or wherever And because it'll create jobs. But what kind of jobs are we talking about? And does that help at all to those uh, racial minorities? Because quite often they're not the ones being hired.
1: Well, you know, I'm I'm glad you're bringing up uh, business tax subsidies, Uh, you know, because for one, I I think you alluded to it. But just generally speaking, business tax subsidies are a bad deal for taxpayers uh, because they don't. Incentivize action that businesses wouldn't take otherwise. I mean, if, if, it's, if it makes business sense, they would they would have done it already. And so, the business tax subsidies end up often just being becoming tax giveaways. Um, but in many ways, business tax subsidies are highly inequitable from a racial equity standpoint. I mean, if you think about who owns businesses in this country and in this, sta- in, in this state, most businesses are uh, are owned by wealthy white people, uh, and that's just the product of our long history of troubled race, race, racial history. Uh, so in Oregon, for example, something like 90% of all businesses are, are owned by white Oregonians, uh, even though white Oregonians only make up about 75% of the population, the majority, but, but it's about 75%, and yet about 90% of businesses are owned by, by white Oregonians. And certainly the biggest businesses are highly concentrated amongst white uh, Oregonians and, and Americans generally. So when you're talking about giving, subsidizing the profits of these businesses, uh, you know, it is, it is a subsidy for well-off white people. And, you know, in that, in that sense, it's exacerbating existing racial uh, disparities rather than, rather than making forward progress and eliminating disparities. Um, and certainly, I mean, even in the the example that you cite about the airline, I mean, yeah, who travels? I mean, if, if to the extent that, that the businesses would argue that they pass on those those savings onto to the consumer, well, it's the the well off who tend to fly <laughs> and and use airlines. So, so in that respect, also, there's there appears to be some inequity.
0: I, I get the impression that the uh, tax code itself is uniformly bad when it comes to. Racial uh, equity. Are there certain parts of the tax code that help reduce that, or are there things that we could add that would help?
1: Yeah, this is a yeah, this is a great question. I mean, I think it's important to recognize that some tax policies do help uh, to reduce racial disparities. You know, we've talked about. There's a huge disparities uh, when it comes to wealth. I mean, I think that of all the things that are unequal in our, in our society, wealth disparities are, are really extreme. And, and by wealth, I mean um, what people, all the assets that you own, uh, minus all the debts that you own. Many Americans, and especially uh, people of color, have little or no wealth wealth is highly concentrated in relatively few hands. And it's really uh, disproportionately in amongst white, uh, white families. So Oregon's estate tax is a policy that helps correct for this. Um, the estate tax, you know, the day that I die, I will pass on my assets, my home and any savings that I have on to my children. Um, mo- and that's the case for, you know, most people. And uh, to the extent that they have assets to pass on, the vast majority of Oregonians will never pay the estate tax. The estate Oregon's estate tax targets only the very wealthiest Oregonians who who, who die, and only you know for so for example in 2017, only the wealthiest three three and a half percent of Oregonians who died that year had an estate tax that was uh, impacted by Oregon's estate tax. So. And the estate estate tax—it's well targeted to really the wealthiest families in our state—and um, that that revenue raised by the estate tax goes to fund our schools, our K through twelve schools, and other essential services that benefit all Oregonians. So, this is a kind of policy that is very equitable that helps us move forward. I think another example that I would give is is a. Is a Just last week, the U.S. Senate, I know we've been talking about uh, state tax policy, but I think it it bears mentioning this piece of federal tax policy. Last week, the U.S. Senate uh, passed a a new stimulus package. Uh, It hasn't been signed yet. I I believe it's going back to the House uh, and then eventually to to President Biden. Um, So it's not not law yet, but but the Senate bill contains a really large expansion of the child tax credit. Um, and this the child tax credit, this changes to it, really are, are uh, really transformational in many ways. They stand to lift up millions upon millions of children out of poverty. And this will disproportionately benefit uh, children of color. I mean, it will lift up children of all races. Uh, so it's, it's good for the entire country. But it definitely is the kind of... Uh, equitable tax policy um, that we would like to see more of.
0: It seems to me, too, that the estate tax is quite often attacked by those that are wealthy and want to pass it on to uh, their family. But um, it, it doesn't make sense, you know, that that people can keep accumulating very large amounts of money. But that's just, you know, the way I see things. So what else uh, should Oregon do to make the tax system more equitable? What else can they do?
1: Maybe i'll answer it uh, this way. I mean if we step back for a moment and think about okay, so why do we have a tax system? You know well, the tax system exists to generate revenue uh, you know the funds that we need to pay for public services that everyone benefits from, like our k through twelve schools, uh, you know public transportation and in much of our of our healthcare system, and unfortunately, right now the system is built in such a way that it is really difficult to raise the revenue that we need to have better public services. Say, for example, imagine that we uh, instituted universal preschool throughout the state of Oregon, or if we invested a lot more in affordable housing. Those things would uh, would advance racial equity. They would disproportionately benefit people of color. So. They would also, by the way, uh, benefit all Oregonians, you know, black, brown, and white. So we would all be better off um, as a result of having stronger public services, well-funded public services. So, you know, why is it so difficult to raise revenue? Well, a big part of the answer to that question is that it's because of structural impediments that we have in our tax system. Um, And some of those structural impediments have have a link to our nation's explicitly racist past. So, uh, you know, I guess that may sound a little bit sort of cryptic. So let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Right now in Oregon, if you want to raise tax rates, on, say you want st- to establish a new tax bracket for millionaires, you need three-fifths of the legislature to enact that tax increase. You know, a simple majority of the legislature, simple democracy won't work. Um, And the reason is because there's a provision in Oregon's constitution that requires a three-fifths vote uh, on bills to raise revenue. And that's uh, that's an exceptional requirement. We don't require a supermajority vote in other areas of of legislating. And the history of the supermajority requirement in tax policy is really revealing. I mean, it really tells us a lot about the kind of institution that it is. So... The first supermajority requirement in our nation um, uh, when it comes to tax policy, the first supermajority requirement in tax policy, it came about during the Jim Crow era, right at the dawn of the Jim Crow era in the South. Um, you know, so Jim Crow is the name of, of, of the policy of legal segregation that we had for almost a century in our, in our country following the end of the, of, of the Reconstruction period that followed the end of the Civil War. And so, during the Reconstruction period, the period right after the end of the Civil War, uh, Southern states um, actually began, for the first time ever, to providing basic public services for Black Americans. I mean, for the first time, we there were uh, public schools that um, African American children could could attend. Um, and but this brief period of progress, uh, you know, kind of came to a to a sudden end. You know. Uh, many many whites opposed these changes and and opposed them violently. They eventually seized controlled uh, state legislatures and rolled back the progress and In the state of Mississippi, this is exactly what happened. there was white opponents of reconstruction seized power and as part of this process, you know wealthy former slaveholders you know demanded that the state State constitution be changed in order to put in a supermajority requirement in tax policy, and basically, it was a way for them to shield themselves from any tax increases. Uh, you know, so it, the Mississippi legisl- uh, Mississippi constitution was changed to require a three three-fifths vote uh, for all tax increases, uh, and that that's still in place today. And so, a supermajority requirement really it was developed as a as a weapon of the white wealthy plantation owners in the South to keep recently freed black people, you know, from from having uh public benefits from uh and you know, and in the process it also kept down, you know, many poor white people in this state. Um, but that's that's the that's the nature of a supermajority. That's the origin of the supermajority requirements. And it really says a lot about what, what kind of institution it is that it is. So Oregon adopted its supermajority requirement in 1996, so it's, you know, well after the end of the Jim Crow era. But even so, here in Oregon, the supermajority requirement continues to serve as a weapon of the powerful and the wealthy elites in our state. Those, and, and those wealth, wealthy elites are overwhelmingly white. Um, so, you know, just like in Mississippi during the Jim Crow era, the supermajority requirement right now serves to prevent investments in public services that would help advance uh, racial equity.
0: Well, Juan, is there any other point that we haven't covered that you would like to bring up at this time?
1: Yeah, I think there's a really important point to emphasize, and that is that the same tax policies that um, advance racial equity, they're also good for the vast majority of Oregonians. I mean, it's, it's important to remember that you know, most low-income Oregonians are white in our state. Um, they, they also suffer from having an upside-down tax system. And, you know, they also suffer when the state fails to invest enough in education and health care and so on. So really, you know, a progressive, adequate tax system is good for all Oregonians, you know, be, be they black, brown, or white. So, you know, really, uh, a progressive, inadequate tax system is, is good for all of us.
0: Well, I think that really is the message here, that it's good for all of us. And it it particularly helps out those at the lower end, which are quite often racial minorities.
1: Yes, that's absolutely right. They they go hand in hand.
0: Well, Juan, I want to thank you for joining us this week. We'll talk to you again next month. Thank you for listening to Policy for the People. Please remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite app.